Well, uh, I mean, on that note, actually, yeah, this is my last time I'm preaching until uh, end of uh, beginning of July. So I'm I'm feeling kind of like it's that nervous thing. It's like, man, I got to get everything out like as as much as possible. So I'm going to resist that temptation. But uh, if you are not aware, some of you, I have no visual memory, so things like this wouldn't affect me. Some of you have got great visual memory. So as you walked in, you recognize there was a lot of new uh, painting in the building, and uh, we've had teams in. Uh, all last week, and we had another team come in yesterday doing some work around the building as well as serving in the community. And um, it, it always reminds me when I have interactions with folks outside of our church who are the beneficiaries of some of our serving teams who are out there representing the village and doing a great job loving Baltimore. And they always make, well, almost always make a really good impression of who we are. Just this idea where people are encouraged. And, and one comment I often hear after people have interacted with people from our church is, man, I'm really glad that you're not that kind of church with those kinds of Christians that think you've got, like, um, a, a hold on the truth, like, that no one else can be. I'm glad you're one of those open-minded, like, kind of Christians, and, and it always leads to interesting conversations from that point. Well, let's talk some more about what that means, um, because it reflects the cultural value. It reflects this cultural value of truth, and, and even when it comes to religion, who's able to be the arbiter of truth? Who's able to say, this is what is right, this is how the world operates? It sounds a little arrogant to do that. I mean, we have a couple of uh, well-known people who speak about that. Um, Oprah Winfrey, really influential voice, obviously. She said this quote, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. This sense, and I think it would reflect a lot of culture. You know what? There's, how, how can any one human say that there's a single way to know eternal life and salvation? Another well-known philosopher, Homer J. Simpson, uh, said, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. You know, pretty much this sense of whatever works. <laughs> you know, whatever works, whatever will get me where I need to go, that's where I'm going to put my trust in. And, and this cultural value that all, all paths are equally valid, um, I mean, it sounds, in a sense, attractive, but we have to recognize as we look into the, uh, the scriptures, the Bible, it, it goes against the nature of who Jesus is and even who he claimed he, to be himself. We read, and probably maybe some of you have heard, one of the more well-known statements that Jesus makes about himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus is talking. He says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. And as we think about these very kind of uh, black and white claims about who he is, what he does, who Jesus claims to be, for some of us, I think it's challenging, and it should be challenging. It, it should be a challenging concept to wrestle in because we, we live in a world where we often hear, well, well, truth is relative. Truth is based on you and your experiences, what you've been through, and in effect, Truth is really what you make it out to be. You, you get to be uh, the definer of truth for you. And, and what works for you and what's true for you in your circumstances, in your context. I mean, you were born in this place. You've had this kind of family. You, you live in this kind of environment. What's true for you is not going to be the same for every person. And, and it, it, sometimes we think about this. way. You know, um, what's true for you may be fine for your life, and I respect that but I have my own truth. And maybe, and maybe some of you can identify uh, like my mind works where some of the challenge of this idea of, of the claims of who Jesus is, is this resistance towards any kind of sense 
where we would exclude anyone based on who they are. I mean, that doesn't sit well with us. I don't know if it sits well with you. It doesn't sit well with me. Um, because there's something about that that really resonates with me. Um, I've got a deep memory, right? So of not, not everything, but some things. I can remember even growing up and uh, moving schools, which is always hard for anyone. But I, I remember moving schools when I was uh, third grade. Uh, to a new city, new school. And I remember uh, being in there, and there were, there were no, very few Asian Americans in that school. And I remember at lunchtime, I don't know how I me- remember these things. I remember traumatic stuff, right? I remember two girls from, one, one girl from my class and another girl from another class talking to each other and said, yeah, we got one now too. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, and, my, and I, I realized they were talking about, oh, yeah, we've got one that's kind of different than everyone else here. And, and there's been this struggle in thinking, man, um, if you're different, you just feel like crud. If you've, and maybe some of you can identify where you've been excluded because of the way you look, the way you, uh, your, your, the clothes you wear. I mean, for me personally, I was an extremely shy, socially awkward kid. Um, I, I didn't fit in well. And I still are, are, I'm wrestling through some of the trauma of not feeling included in the places where I wanted to be. And struggling with fear of people and just wanting to do anything that people say, you belong now. Um, and, and maybe again, maybe some of you can identify with being ostracized or, or um, kept out, not being part of the, the cool lunch table, whatever that might be for you. So as we think about this is real stuff, I, I want us to think about that. But then I want to look, look at Jesus and some explore some of these claims he makes about himself. So we're going to start here and look at a few things. But John 6 and it's up on the screen, but it's also in the, the Bibles there. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take these with you. But page 763, I'm going to read this in a second, John 6. But I want to give you a little context. Because before this, we hear this amazing story where Jesus was preaching, right? Just a big, big, like, festival, conference, whatever you call. And there were a lot of people. It describes as 5,000, and that's the men. So including women and children who weren't counted back then, probably in the upper five digits, And people are listening to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus is a good preacher. But even with Jesus preaching, you get hungry, right? So people have been all there all day. They're hungry. They're they're waiting for something. And then the disciples are like, yo, Jesus, people have been here all day. They're hungry. Should we send them away? And Jesus is like, no, no. Let's see what we could do here. I'm going to show you something. This is going to be good, right? And and so what we got? So a little boy offers five five bread, five pieces of bread and two fish. And Jesus died. And I would have loved to be there, right? If I had a cell phone, (laughs) that would have been great, right? Just... You know, just multiplying, like the food doesn't run out. Like everyone gets to eat. From these five bread and two fish, thousands get to eat. And then after this, you have this interaction, Jesus, like they spend, and then disciples of Jesus find out, yo, that, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lake there, and uh, that's, that's not, that's Jesus. He's walking on the water. Like crazy stuff. So, so Jesus' power is evident, and people are following because they, you know, people like a powerful person. And then he starts to get a little wacky, though, because he got the crowd. But here's some of the stuff he starts saying. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, 
and I will raise them up on the last day. So as much as the crowds love the grub, I mean, who, who don't like a free meal, right? As much as the crowds love the grub, they start grumbling when Jesus starts talking about things like this. And, and even today, a lot of folks nowadays, they like to talk about, man, you know what? I really dig that Jesus who's all about humility and serving the poor. And Jesus loved the people that the powerful people that that's the Jesus I like. I don't like the Jesus Do you keep talking about that's all about like religion. And man, if you would just be like your leader, Jesus, the whole world would be great. But the thing is, um, if you read the Bible, claims about who Christ is are ones he's making about himself. These are not the things that have been attributed to him. And, and even here, we see some of the things he says is the reason why so many people had a beef with him. Why so many people couldn't stand him. Because we see things like here, he's calling himself God. Which is extremely offensive to these people who love God. He's calling himself God. He's claiming to be the giver and the source of eternal life. Which, if you're a good religious person, only God can do. He's claiming to be that. This is deeply offensive and heretical to the people who are listening to this. And we got to make no mistake, guys. Jesus, in his ministry, he was not about spouting off some bumper sticker truths that would make everyone's innards feel like all warm and cuddly and like give like a spiritual hug to people who are going through a rough time. And I mean, he did some of that, but it's not just about making people feel touchy-feely. He was obviously full of deep compassion. Deep empathy for the broken. But Jesus also had a very hard line on what it meant to know God. What it meant to discover true life in God. And these words, they were not just isolated to a couple of just scriptures. It was throughout his teachings. I mean, we see some other words to a similar effect. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, it reads, uh, Jesus speaking here, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And as he's talking about this narrow gate that a few find, he's talking about the life that's found in him. He's saying here, this is a hard road. Not everyone's going to find it. It's, It's narrow. John 14, 6 that we saw earlier, again, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. By Jesus' own words here and elsewhere, it, it seems to be a very black and white understanding of what it takes to know God and what it means to receive eternal life in Christ. But guys, um, we've, we've always got to be reading these personal declarations in light of who Jesus was in his actions and his deeds as well as his words. Um, because there were some who heard what Jesus said and they just like shook their head and they walked away. They're like, are you kidding me? That, that's ridiculous, man. I like that whole bread and fish thing. Give me, but, but no, man, are, are you, are you insane? But then there were also those who, as they listened to Jesus, they found something worth living for. The, there were some who in, in the scriptures and throughout history, some people just like us who took an honest look at their lives and saw that something was broken, saw something that was not quite the way that God had intended it to be. And and to those who are broken, to those who are helpless, um, to those who desire freedom from sin, from death, from self-righteousness, from lustful motives of the heart, 
from guilt, from fear, from shame, to those people like that, Jesus is their only hope and a wonderful Savior. Those who don't turn away and run, walk away, to those who say and say, I'm broken, there's something in me that needs fixing, they, they find that Jesus is an amazing Savior. And he's good to his promise, and he delivers what he says he will. And people like Peter, the apostle Peter that we read of in the Bible, if you know anything about this apostle, that's a fancy word for one of the first disciples who walked with Jesus, his name's Peter, you know he's sort of a rockhead. I mean, literally, uh, in, the, in the original languages, his name is Petros. It means like rock. His, he's rocky. And he occasionally, I mean, he says some really blockhead things, but occasionally he says some magnificent things. And at the end of that one passage we read earlier from John 6, after Jesus sees all these people walking away after the meal's gone, he asks his closest followers. This is from John chapter 6, verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter, this is Peter, Rocky, answered him, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. I mean, that'd make a good bumper sticker there. Uh, My wife and I, we enjoy little little things. We enjoy a lot of things, but there's certain little things that we enjoy together. One of them is uh, when our kids go down finally to sleep, and it takes like a good hour and a half to do that. But once they go down, we like to enjoy like, these nice chocolates we have, and we hide them from the kids because we don't want them to eat it. We hide it in our room. Like good chocolates, the kind of, you can't eat the whole thing because it's like price of gold. So you have like a little bit, and we just sit there, we savor it together. We're like, hmm, that's good because we got it as a gift once. And it was like, man, I'll, and I love any chocolate. You give me a Hershey's, you give me a Reese's, you give me Kit Kats, I'm good. But once I tasted this chocolate, I was like, whoa! How does someone make this? This is unbelievable. This is what chocolate is? And and the thing is, I always loved any kind of chocolate. Like, I love the cheap stuff, especially because it's cheap. But once I tasted that, it ruined me for chocolate. (laughs) It ruined me. Because I would taste something else. I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. It's not bad. But that's not like that one that my wife and I share. That's good. That's chocolate. That's yummy. That satisfies my soul. I know more of God after I've eaten that. That good. And it's a silly illustration, but that's kind of what happens to Peter here, what he's describing. That Peter is ruined for anything else in life because he's experienced Jesus. What he knew before is satisfying. What he knew before is life. Now that he's walked with the, the, the incarnate Christ, the, the true living God who's on this earth and loving and serving and doing the work. And as he's walked with him, he's ruined for anything else that he used to go to for life. Because when you've had the best, how can you go to anything else and, and experience the same thing? That's what he's saying when Jesus is answering, yo, you guys going to go too? Where are we going to go? When we've experienced you, where, where the heck are we going to go? Where is Peter and the others supposed to go if they've met the only one who truly has the power and the authority to grant life? And as I think about that, and as I think about us here, you know, honestly, sometimes I think we get caught up in this phrasing of Jesus is the only way. Like that phrasing, only way, that just sounds very kind of cold, right? It sounds kind of mean. 
It kind of sounds kind of like cool kids, not cool kids, only way, only us. Um, and I get, think we get hung up on the phrasing only way. And that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's Christians, but that's also non-Christians alike. I think we get hung up on that. But the more I study the Bible, the more I see how God works in our world, um, I, I don't get as fixated on this only part. But like Peter, I get amazed at the fact that there is a way. Not that this only, there is a way when there should be no way. When, when every single one of us should bear the brunt of our rebellion and our sin and our disobedience, whether it looks good or whether it doesn't look so good, every single one of us, that should be our fate. But now there is a way. And his name is Jesus. Because the truth is that to broken people who are in need of repair, there is no more inclusive faith system in the world. Uh, to those who confess that they are sinners, and by sinners I mean in rebellion of God, and, and I hate to break with you, that means all of us. To, to sinners, it is the most welcoming message of grace and acceptance that we see in Jesus Christ. Because it really, truly, genuinely doesn't matter who you are. It, it doesn't matter how much pigment you got in your skin. It, it doesn't matter... Um, what, what nation you grew up in. It doesn't matter who your family has always worshipped as God. It, it doesn't matter um, how much money or money you don't have in your bank account. It, it doesn't matter if you've been clean cut, vacation Bible school going, goody two-shoes your whole life or never stepped inside anything assembling, uh, looking like a religious assembly. It, it doesn't matter if you are a mom or a dad, or if you're a kid. It doesn't matter if you're from the streets, or from the suburbs, or milking a cow. It, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't matter if you've been good or if you've been bad. That this salvation is available to every single person who would say, I've got something broken in me and I need someone who can fix it. And that, that, if that's Jesus, sign me up here. And the reason why we're talking, and for some of you, hopefully you're like, this is not revolutionary. You're like, okay, good, good affirmation. The reason why I'm talking about it here today uh, for our church is that we need to continually be intentional about our purpose. Why we do what we do, guys. Um, man, maybe for me, this is like a last message I get to give for a few months, so it's, it's kind of heavy on my heart. And for some of you, mo- a lot of you, you're aware that we, uh, my, my family, my biological family, you're my family too, but my biological family, we've had a lot going on in the past month or so. We discovered in the pa- it's been a crazy month. We discovered that my father has, uh, he had a large tumor in his side, uh, in his kidney, and we discovered it was about eight and a half centimeters, so it, it had grown for a while, cancerous tumor. Um, and it just, I mean, everything moves so fast. And my, my parents are in Philadelphia, so I'm traveling back and forth trying to do different things. And it was an extremely frustrating thing that first week because um, they're immigrants. They don't speak English that well. Um, I'm here. My brother's there, but he, you know, he works and stuff as well. So we're trying to or- do all these things. And we're going to the doctors. And I, I remember one day I went with them about a few days later, go to the doctors to try to get some um, initial consults. It was like the worst experience in my life. I've never felt so helpless because we went into the urology office, and they're really well-renowned, but it's like a factory, right? It's like packed in there, and people go in and out, 
and, and trying to get some personal care. And I'm like talking to them, hey, hey can you help us out? I've, we've got like an old man sitting here for like hours. Can you help us out? And they're like, well, wait your turn. I even went out there and I, I'm like, and you know, with my nice face, because I know I got mean face. With my nice face, I even went out there. Hi, we've been sitting here for a while. And the nurse was like, we'll be there in a minute. And I was about to go off, except I'm thinking, okay, these people might cut into my pop, so I'm going I'm to stay cool. So I went back in. I'm just, like, burning up, though. I'm like, man, just feel horrible. Like, they, they, maybe they'll – and then we met the doctor, and they're like, yeah, you know what? Stay with us. Come back. Uh, you brought the wrong stuff today, so come back next week again, and we'll try to see if we can maybe do something within the next month. The schedule's really packed here. And just feeling, like, man, I felt so helpless. And amidst that, you know, and we're just, I could just look at my folks and myself, and we're just feeling, like, horrible. What are we going to do here? And then um, just, I, I, you know, kind of a God moment. We're like, you know what? I'm going to call up my buddy who, um, you know, he's at Temple University, um, went to college together, did a lot of not always holy but fun stuff together, and, but now we, we both love Jesus. And, and he's, um, he's, he's a doctor at Temple University. One of, the, one of the best, I called him up. And not, just more to get a consult, thinking, man, can you give us some advice? And man, he said, bring your dad here tomorrow morning. I'm clearing out my schedule. He met with him. And, and, and my friend, doctor, he's, he's one of the top in his field in the country. I'm not joking. This is not hyperbole. One of the top in the country. He's renowned for, like, robotic surgery. This other guy, this other doctor was saying, yeah, you know, we're going to have to cut in there. My friend listen, no, you're not going to have to cut in there. We got robots that do that now. <laughs> One of the best. And, and where scheduling would usually take about like a month or so just to find some, because this, you know, high demand stuff. He said, uh, we're going to do this like in two days. I'm clearing out my whole schedule. I, I'm supposed to take my family away for spring break, but we're going to do this now so I make sure that we get it done before I leave. Called up his poor physician's assistant in the middle of the night <laughs> to tell her, wake her up and say, yo, we got to schedule something tomorrow morning just used his authority because he, he basically runs his department at Temple University Hospital. Cleared it all out. I, I visited again uh, after the surgery. I went in there. Man, you would have thought my dad was a king the way that they were taking care of him. The nurses and the staff, they were totally, but they, he had his whole uh, resident team like coming back and forth, this whole team of medical students and residents who were like at my dad's beck and call. They brought a translator in there. They did everything. And it just reminded me, in our world, it's really about who you know. It's about who you know. A lot of the jobs you have, honestly, how do you get your job? It's about who you know. How do you get in line somewhere ahead of It's about who you know. It's about family connection. It's about all that stuff. And I, I, rem- and I was just so thankful that because we knew this guy, he had the authority to do something that we would have never been able to do on our own. And because of that, we were blessed. And as we think about this idea about who you know, who you know, in the same way, for you and I here at the Village Church as followers of Jesus, we want to also point people to the only one who can get the job done, Jesus. Amen? We don't just want people to be attracted to us because we're kind of a cool church or we got a lot of energy. We got good stuff we're doing. We want people to ultimately say, in this church, all I hear about at the end of every conversation is, man, but Jesus. Jesus can do something. Jesus is there. Jesus got authority. Because it's about who you know. And we want people to know the one who has authority to save them and heal them.
because you and I don't. And I hope that gives you a lot of freedom here, especially when we talk about reaching out and evangelism and, and sharing about Jesus. I don't know about you. I hate those sermons when people preaching at me. I don't mind preaching them. I don't like hearing them because I feel like a jerk. It's because sometimes it's like the whole fate of the world rests on your shoulders. Are you going to waste your time and tell people about Jesus? Or are you just going to stay at home and be a lazy slug? People are waiting. Aren't you going to tell them? Aren't you going to help them? People are dying. If you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you be out there telling them? And then you just feel like a jerk because you're like, how am I going to do with that? But when we know the one who has authority, our goal is not to have to save anyone. Our goal is not to have to transform. That's way above any of our pay grades. We, we do not have that kind of power. What we can do is say, you know what? I ain't got much, but I know this guy named Jesus. <laughs> I, I can't do much for you. I'll love you. I'll serve you. I'll, get, I'll, I'll share with you. But ultimately, you need to know my friend here, Jesus, because he's got the power to do something that, that you need in your life. I don't. And I hope for you that gives you freedom not to feel this kind of pressure that's not biblical. That it's up to you to do something because none of us have that kind of authority and power But what we can do is love people as much as we can, reach out as much as we can, and tell people, I I know someone who's who's got the power to take care of this. And guys, that's why we keep pointing to Jesus. As I think about our church and as I pray for us, um, I I don't want us to get known in in so many different ways that churches want to get known by. I really don't. I don't want to be known as innovative. I don't want to be known as uh, a cool place where young people are attracted to. Um, I don't want to be known as a place that's, I mean, all this stuff is fine. I want to be known as a place that people might say, you know what, actually, they're pretty simple. They, they're not that innovative. Oh, but all they do is keep talking about Jesus. All they do is keep talking about the one who has authority to uh, to make a difference and and to save and that as we talk and just keep pointing to Jesus, we don't do it in an arrogant way. We don't do it in a theologically uh, bullying way. But, but pleading to a lost and a dying world that there is someone who can save you. There is someone. I can't, but there is someone who has the authority to transform your heart. That our rebellion has earned every single one of us deserved wrath eternally and punishment for our disobedience but because god loves us there is a way to be saved and his name is jesus that he took the penalty of death that we earned and he offers us the life that comes through him alone and that's why all we talk about is jesus again don't get distracted by this only way Don't get distracted by this only way, but focus on that. When there should have been no hope, there is now hope. When there should have been no way, there is now a way, and his name is Jesus. And that's why we sing about him. That's why we pray to him. That's why we talk about him. That's why we continually focus on him. And I marvel at how countercultural Jesus is the more I learn about him. And, and I notice whenever there's like a crisis that happens around the world or in our country, when there's like a mass whatever, when there's like a huge thing that happened, um, you know, often there's responses and you see it on the news and it's leaders or politicians. They make these promises saying, if, if I am in charge, 
this will not happen because I'm going to be someone who's going to be powerful. It's like a show of strength. Like, we need someone who can take care of this. We need someone who's strong. Basically, I will save you because of my strength. And, and as I think about Jesus, he also showed that he had strength to save. But he demonstrated his strength in a radically different way. By almost seemingly opposite means, he showed his strength by being weak and by being humble. All the way to this thing called the cross. And that sacrifice, I mean, it looked weak, but it was actually very powerful. But that sacrifice, it demonstrated the power that this Jesus has to save you and me, even in our deepest rebellion. Um, A few years ago, we took our family to um, a local beach, and we were swimming during the summertime, having a good time. And in the middle of it, though... um, we were there for a while. It just we started. You can tell like a panic happens. And there's like a rippling effect through through the beach, and um, basically news started come out. Uh, someone lost their kid in the water. You know, someone lost their kid in the water, and, and you know all the rescue workers are there, and um, and uh, thank God um, we found out it was a hoax afterwards. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what was going on, but it was a hoax. But no one knew it was a hoax until we're out of there a few hours. And everyone was panicked. But I remember what happened in the midst of it. And we, I, this is not from that, but it's a picture that's similar. I don't know if you can see it fully. But what they asked everyone who was there to do, every adult, is to get into the water together because it was a small contained lake. Everyone link hands and just start walking. Just start walking through. Just start walking through. Cover this whole thing. Basically, they called it a human chain. They called it a human net. Everyone link hands. We're going to cover every single inch of this thing. Because the reality is, and you don't have to be a genius. If you've got a couple rescue workers to go out, hey, go, go try to check out this whole thing. You're not going to be able to do it. But if you get a whole crew of people who are linked and, and literally covering the whole surface area walking through, it was one of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life. And it just reminded me of the church or what the church should be. It reminded me of, of, of the picture of what it looks like for you and I, every single one of us, as different as our backgrounds might be, uniting hands, uniting souls, just walking through, walking through in your sphere. And, and you're going to cover ground that someone else in this church might not. Your, your little patch that you're going to be walking through as you're holding hands with others in this community. You're going to be on campuses of colleges in this city walking through. Just moving through with, as, as the message of Christ is in your heart. You're walking through that more people on your campus might be able to know Jesus through, through your life. That, that, that you, if, if, you're a, if you're a parent, you know, you're, you're holding hands and you're walking through and, and, and you're ministering to maybe other, other parents that are not going to identify with everything going on. But you can talk about the, the challenge of raising children and, and uh, kind of the futile effort to be saved by being a good parent <laughs> and share how Jesus frees and walking through 
for some of you who've been through the battles of, of addictions and, and, and experiencing redemption, holding hands with others in the church, maybe who haven't, but you have, and you're walking through, and especially you're walking through a neighborhood, and you're hoping to run into anyone who that is their story. And all you can point to is not your self-control, not that you got something better done, not that you went to some program, but ultimately you found the only one that can meet you in your desperate need and, and point them to Christ. You're a teenager at our church, and you're just linking hands, and, and you're walking through, and you're going to your school, and, and, and in a city where youth are just finding no hope, you're, you're, you're just starting to point to it. Maybe you're even a little, uh, it takes courage, so maybe you're not even, you're kind of shy, but you're saying, I, f- I found hope, and it's called, he's called Jesus. And, and basically, we're just united in hands physically, metaphorically, whatever. And we're just walking through as a community that more and more people might hear and be pointed to the one who has the authority to do what you and I cannot do. Amen? Whatever it takes so that we can collectively point to our hero, to our hope, and to our Savior, Jesus alone. Um, Can I ask you to stand and bow your heads with me? And we're going we're gonna to respond here. And as you uh, bow your head and just take a moment to reflect, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper this morning and receive the communion. And for those of you who are Christians who profess that your life is one where you've experienced salvation, I want to invite you up during this time, come to the table Take a piece of the wafer and be reminded of the broken body of Jesus. Remember, dip into the cup right there and be reminded of the only hope that we have to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be transformed. It's in Jesus, and that's why we remember every week. But I also want, maybe it's because I don't get to speak for a few months. I want to just speak very bluntly here to those of you who would say that's not your story. And I'm really glad you're here. If that's not you, I want to invite you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus is not about being a particular political party. It's not about the way your hair looks. It's not about how much ink you got on your skin. It's not about how many needles you've put in your body before. It's not about what you've experienced in different ways, good or bad. It's not about listening to particular kind of music or watching certain kind of movies or going to certain places or not going to certain places. And all that's probably important in some way. But ultimately, it's about saying, I cannot fix myself. I do not have the power to transform a heart. That's way above my pay grade. But they seem to be talking about someone who does. Jesus. And if that's you here, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till the next sermon. Maybe right here just today you say, I'm going to stop rebelling, and I'm going to say I need to be forgiven because I'm broken. I need to be fixed. And if Jesus is the one to do it, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to believe that his death on a cross and his resurrection from a grave was sufficient for me to take my place. And if that's you, you can pray with us. I'd love to pray with you, or you can jot it down on a card and, and drop it off and let us know you wanted to do that and trust Jesus today. And if that's you, maybe today you come up and you receive communion too as a follower of Christ. But church, if you are a Christian, if you're part of this church, may we go out and be bold. May we be bold, not because it's up to us to change anyone, but because we know the one who has the power to do so. 
I've learned more and more when I know powerful people, man, I run to them to help me out because they can do stuff I cannot do. May we do that with our God, with Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, you remind us more and more that you've called us to do a work when you call us to go out and make disciples, to help people discover who you are. Uh, More and more we're realizing, God, we are utterly unable to do that in anything we have in ourselves apart from you. But Lord, when we walk with you, there is amazing power because the one we follow has the ability to transform anyone, no matter the depths of the pits they've been in. And sometimes the depth of those pits look very clean cut on the outside. But you have the power to transform. And I pray you would do that right here in our midst and, and amongst those who are here today. But Lord, even more, send us to do that work outside of this place, Lord, to love people, to serve them, to talk about you openly, humbly, not arrogantly, humbly, Lord, but clearly because we know that you do have the authority and you love broken people like us. So help us as, we be, as we're reminded of that this morning. May our faith in you be reconfirmed today that you have the authority and the power and you are the way and the truth and the life and we glory in that.